Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, Primetime Politics Tonight. Albertans finding out how deep the spending cuts will be in the first budget delivered today by the government of Jason Kenney. Already, the Alberta Premier is laying some of the challenges facing his province at the foot of the federal parliament. And we can expect to hear more about Western alienation tonight as well. Green Party leader Elizabeth May will join me to talk about that and her expectations for the minority government. And a new report says a big boost in immigration is absolutely necessary to preserve Canada's economic prosperity. But first, the national conversation over national unity is front and centre again today as Albertans are about to learn just how bad their economic challenges have become as uh, they start hearing about the budget in that province and how the government of Jason Kenney will deal with those challenges. The Premier has already told Albertans to expect spending to be cut by nearly 3% in an effort to balance the books in the next four years. Now, in a speech to the province last night, Jason Kenney took aim at federal politicians for Alberta's economic woes. Here's what he had to say. The storm clouds of a potential global recession are on the horizon, and we now have a federal government that has actively campaigned against our province's vital economic interests. So the challenges are real. But you know what? We're Albertans. Through our whole history, we've proven that we are the can-do province. We are resilient, hardworking, and innovative. And together, we can and will overcome these challenges. But doing so will require some tough decisions. This starts with boldly pursuing policies that will bring jobs, growth and investment back to Alberta while getting our finances back under control to stop the reckless dive into debt. Simply put, in an uncertain world where we can't count on support from this federal government in Ottawa, we must be self-reliant. Given the government that we're facing in Ottawa now, we must be self-reliant to protect our future. Alberta's budget 2019 is a balanced plan that will lead to more jobs, grow the economy, and will protect vital services. This is the mandate we were elected on. We are absolutely determined to deliver on that commitment to protect our finances, come what may. No number of protests or political attacks are gonna push us off course. Over the days to come, I can predict it, you're gonna hear from a lot of interest groups attacking our efforts to get our fiscal house in order. But when you hear those voices, ask yourself some questions. For example, has your household, your business, or maybe your local community group ever had to trim its spending to live within your means? Have you had to find three cents of savings on each dollar in your own budget? Now, let's be honest. Most Albertans have had to trim a lot more than that from their budgets, and they expect their government to be able to do the same. Why can't the government of Alberta learn to operate at least as efficiently as other provincial governments in Canada? Why are we paying 20% more than other provinces for the same services, but getting less bang for the buck? And to those who oppose any meaningful kind of restraint, I ask them, what is their alternative? Do they want to keep running this province on our credit card, forcing us to borrow more just to pay interest? Do they want to force Albertans to pay even more taxes? If so, how many jobs are they prepared to kill by raising taxes on this economy? Governing is about choosing. 
and your government has chosen to keep our commitment to focus on jobs in the economy while getting our finances back in order. If the frustration and alienation in Alberta continues to mount, it will pose a very serious challenge to national unity. Secondly, because Alberta plays a hugely oversized role in national prosperity and the finances of the federal government. Uh, and so if he wants to strengthen national unity and the Canadian economy, then he needs to listen to the provinces that produce a disproportionate amount of the wealth in the Federation. Um, last Yesterday, Albertans spoke with a louder voice than they have ever done in federal electoral history. In fact, I believe, I, I haven't been able to confirm this 100%, but to the best of my knowledge, last night was the single largest mandate for one federal party in a province since 1867. That is pretty power that's a pretty powerful statement. That was a very diverse spectrum of Albertans who sent a powerful message last night. And many of them are saying they don't feel uh, at home in their own country, which I think is tragic. And, uh, and so, as I said to Prime Minister Trudeau when we first met in May of this year in, in his office, I said, Prime Minister, the, the first obligation of anybody in your position is to strengthen national unity. But it's actually being undermined in the province that has contributed more than, uh, than any other in our modern economic history. So that's why, Rick, because if you care about unity and prosperity, you should care about how Alberta's doing. This is the goose that laid the golden egg in modern Canadian economic history. And uh, this needs some tending. This relationship needs uh, some, some good faith uh, from Ottawa. And if it doesn't get that, I, I fear that the alienation is going to go in a very problematic direction. Premier Jason Kenney kind of setting the scene for the uh, Alberta budget speech we're about to get in the next few minutes here. We'll see how much the finance minister of Alberta talks about the federal government and the new uh, minority parliament in his budget speech coming up there from the Alberta legislature in the next 10 minutes or so. Green Party leader Elizabeth May, it would probably be said, is uh, no friend of the Alberta government. She's in uh, part who Jason Kenney means when he talks about the unfriendly federal parliament we have these days. The Green leader is laying out her terms today for supporting the Liberal minority government here in Ottawa. Elizabeth May joins me from her home in Sydney, British Columbia. Elizabeth May, good to see you. Thanks for being with me. Thank you, Peter. And congratulations on your re-election victory. Thanks so much. I'll get to your terms for supporting the minority government in just a moment here. But first, Albertans are finding out today how much pain they'll face as Jason Kenney's government uh, cut spending in that uh, province today in the budget. He's putting some of the blame on you and other federal parliamentarians he describes as unfriendly to Alberta's resource economy. What is your response to Jason Kenney? I think that we, Jason Kenney wouldn't want to be called unfriendly to future generations. I don't think it's a matter of friendship. It's a matter, and, and I do consider Jason Kenney a friend, which I reminded him of when we saw each other at Calgary Stampede. I don't think it's helpful to promote divisions and hatreds or for the Premier of Alberta, whether it's Rachel Notley or Jason Kenney, to tell Albertans that Canadians don't care about them, their future or their economy, because it's simply not true. What we all have to admit, and it's a tough one to admit, it was hard for the government of Quebec to say we can't keep promoting asbestos, it's killing people. Fossil fuels are today's asbestos. We actually have to shut the industry down. It's not about being for or against Alberta. Uh, it's, it's about making sure that Albertans and all of us have a livable world. Now, mm. 
fortunately, Alberta has a very vibrant economy and lots of resources. And it's not down to just fossil fuels. It has the best potential of any province for solar energy. It has amazing potential for geothermal, uh, converting what are now toxic liabilities on the books of the Alberta government, this would help them with his finances, mm. would be for the federal government to take the abandoned oil wells off his hands and have Indigenous people on their territories develop geothermal electricity out of abandoned oil wells. These are real-life possibilities with the technology we have. Uh, it, there's no point telling Albertans that people who care about climate don't care about Albertans. There's no separate planet called Alberta where they can survive the climate crisis. Right. Okay, I mean, if you look at the numbers, there, there's more support for parties elected to the House of Commons who want more ambitious action on climate change and favor a carbon tax, the Liberals, the NDP and the Bloc and the Greens, than the Conservatives who don't. So uh, even the big oil producers support carbon pricing. So, I mean, is it your view that uh, the Alberta and Saskatchewan premiers are, are just on the wrong side of this equation? They're on the wrong side of everything. When they, If they don't pay attention to the science, and I'd have to say, I know voters chose parties overwhelmingly that say they care about climate. For that matter, Mr. Scheer said he had a real climate plan. I mean, he didn't, but neither does Mr. Trudeau and neither does Mr. Singh. So voters overwhelmingly in this country vote for parties that say they care about the climate crisis and want real action. And we really are running out of time. I'm, my appeal is always to be uh, collaborative and find a way across party lines that we can all agree on a path forward that protects workers and ensures Canadians have a, a prosperous economy while going off fossil fuels as rapidly as possible. Okay, what, what are your terms for supporting the minority par uh, supporting the government in the minority parliament? Well, what I proposed today to Mr. Trudeau would, in an open letter that's copied to all the other opposition party leaders is that we find those areas where we have emerging consensus. And when you look across the platforms, there are a number of areas. Obviously, and I did restate this to Mr. Trudeau in person on a phone call we had a few days ago and right after the election, actually, on Tuesday, and also in the letter, that we, 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 we as Greens, Paul Manley, Jenica Atwin, and I can't vote confidence in a government that holds on to a climate target that is inconsistent with the science and doesn't do what's necessary. That said, uh, there are a lot of other areas that are not confidence motions where we should work together, for, particularly pharmacare. The Liberals, the NDP, and the Greens all said we need to bring in pharmacare. And, and even the Conservatives, add the Conservatives into this one, dealing with ocean plastics. Liberals, Conservatives, NDP, Green, let's actually ban single-use plastic items and try to protect our oceans. There are a number of areas I would also add, you know, improve mental health supports. And, of course, the crisis of... Uh, situation for Indigenous peoples in this country, the need to bring in the United Nations Declaration of Rights for Indigenous Peoples. That, again, leaves out the Conservatives, but certainly the Liberals, the NDP, and the Greens have said we support UNDRIP. And, right. and this morning, a very historic event in British Columbia, where the legislation to make uh, British Columbia's laws consistent with UNDRIP. So we can make progress on things across party lines to make a minority parliament more productive. Well, Justin Trudeau is saying he's going to complete the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion, that it won't be the subject of a bargaining chip with you or any other party in the minority parliament. So, um, and, and I understand that maybe, you know, he, uh, you're, there are things you can work on, but if he pushes ahead with that project, does that poison the water for the ability to work with you on other things that you've talked about we have in common? Or are you pre prepared to say, okay, uh, well, let me ask you, what are you prepared to do if he says we're building that pipeline? What well, is he's, that? He's, 
Yeah, I mean, it's he said it. It's it's in, it's it's really a form of, of delusion. It, it sees as liberals. Uh, Justin Trudeau isn't the first. Uh, back in the early '90s, Jean Chrétien dumped a lot of commitments that had been made to climate in the Red Book, which um, you might remember. I don't imagine many other viewers remember yeah, the do. Red Book. I do remember it. <laughs> But there were good, solid climate commitments that were dumped when Anne McClellan won in, in Edmonton by a squeaker. Liberals have this delusion that by pandering to fossil fuels, they can win votes in Alberta. It, it, it hasn't worked for them ever. Mm. Uh, what's important is not to pander. What's important is to be is to be honest and straight up. You can't possibly, and Justin Trudeau must know this, they set a target for carbon neutrality by 2050. You can't get there from here if you keep adding fossil fuel infrastructure. You okay. can't get there from here if you hang on to the target that the Trudeau administration kept left over from Stephen Harper. It can't be done. Okay, but let me let so, me sorry. Let me. We will continue to oppose the Trans Mountain pipeline, but if there's a vote on pharmacare, we vote for it. Okay, let, let me ask you. So, uh, just in terms of the numbers, as I look at them, in the way I see it, Justin Trudeau can't win with just your three votes. And he can't lose without your three votes, if, as long as he has support from another party. So how seriously does he have to take your demands? I think our, the seriousness with which he takes our demands is based on the Greens, I think, widely understood place in Canadian politics as the conscience of Parliament. We don't have on the numbers, which is a tragedy for me personally. I certainly wanted to see us as Greens with the right set of numbers, which you can't control because we didn't know how many seats the Liberals would get and so on. I, I had hoped that we'd have that kind of determining force in Parliament that you can't pass a confidence vote without us. Right. He will easily find other dancing partners because the other big parties are more concerned with winning than with principle, and they will certainly prop up his government. They may take turns, but they certainly will. Uh, we won't on any confidence measures unless there's a commitment to change the target, which in our letter to to the Prime Minister today, we point out that that change in our target should take place before the next climate negotiations begin December 2nd in Chile. Uh, it's a change that can be taken without a vote in Parliament. The current target was put in place by Stephen Harper with no vote in Parliament. Uh, Justin Trudeau and his cabinet can pull that number and put in a new number. That will be very, very important to the success of global okay. conversations. Let let me finish. Let me finish on this. I've got 15 seconds. Uh, I know you wanted. Uh, you just touched on it. You you would hope for better results. Uh, let me ask you about your own future. Are you staying on as party leader? I doubt that I'll be party leader going into a general election if it's four years from now. If there was a snap election in the spring, I'd probably still be party leader. So my honest answer is it is. The party needs to talk about it. My my new caucus colleagues, well, now that we're three, Jenica Atwin and Paul Manley and I, I need to know what they want from me uh, as they find their feet. Paul had one month in Parliament, but he said to me the other day, "Look, I'm still a rookie." <laughs> so we've got we've got and, and you know there are a lot of considerations, but I I don't I, I it's no secret. Uh, to those who, who've asked me this question before, right. that it isn't a position that I'm dying to hang on to. I, I'm very happy to have succession planning, and I'd love to see younger leadership. I'd love to see Indigenous leadership. Two very strong Indigenous candidates lost on Vancouver Island thanks to NDP smear campaigns. It's quite tragic, but the, the talent that was brought forward in this election campaign means that I don't doubt for a minute that there are many qualified people who would put their names forward at the moment I decide it's okay. it's time to to start that process of new leadership
All right. Well, you're there for now, and it's good to talk to you again today, and we'll talk again, I'm sure, uh, in the days ahead. Elizabeth May, thank you. Thank you so much, Peter. All right. So Green Party leader Elizabeth May, and uh, we said the, one of the big stories we're following tonight, the Alberta budget, in the context of a big uh, cut in spending and in the context of uh, what the uh, Premier, Jason Kenney, has been saying about uh, the unfriendly parliament in Ottawa, the federal parliament, and the parties now uh, gathered there in the, uh, as a result of the election on Monday. And so we're uh, watching this budget to hear about uh, some of the uh, challenges uh, facing the province of Alberta. And some of those challenges, of course, are, are because of the drop in, in value of the, uh, of the resource industries in that uh, province, but also uh, they claim because of the attitude of a federal government that has not been friendly to the resource industry in the province of Alberta. And I suspect we're going to hear about that uh, in this budget speech from the uh, finance minister in the province of Alberta, Travis Taves. And he's actually the uh, president of the Treasury Board and the finance minister in Alberta, and he's on his feet now, so let's listen in. Offices of the Legislative Assembly estimates, as well as the 2019-2020 government estimates. In addition, Mr. Speaker, I also wish to table the 2019-23 Government of Alberta Strategic Plan and the Budget 2019 Ministry Business Plans. Mr. Speaker, I now wish to table the government's budget 2019-23 fiscal plan and move government motion 32 that the assembly approve in general the business plans and fiscal policies of the government. Under government motion, motion. Number 32, Honourable Mr. Taves. The Honourable, the President of, of Treasury Board and the Minister of Finance to present his first provincial budget. Mr. Speaker, I now wish to table the government's budget 2019-23 fiscal plan and move government motion 32 that the assembly approve in general the business plans and fiscal policies of the government. Mr. Speaker, it's my honour to rise today and deliver uh, the inaugural budget of the first United Conservative Government of Alberta. This budget is the result of comprehensive platform our party ran on in this year's election and consultations with Albertans over the last few months. That program, titled Getting Alberta Back to Work, was endorsed by over a million voters, representing 55% of electors and the highest single party vote tally in provincial history. This was an overwhelming public endorsement of our three main priorities getting Albertans back to work, making life better for Albertans, and standing up for Alberta. This budget is a fulfillment of that promise made to Albertans. This is a budget that is, it is ambitious in its drive for economic growth. This is a budget that is courageous, tackling out-of-control spending of previous administrations. This is a budget that is compassionate, taking care of the most vulnerable, and providing more resources to families and children. This is a budget that is thoughtful, reasonable, and precise in its execution. And this is a budget that puts Alberta and Albertans first at a time when we're contending against a global campaign of misinformation 
and a federal government that has campaigned against our province's vital interests. It is in this context that this budget has been crafted. So let me start, Mr. Speaker, with the ambition of Budget 2019. Budget 2019 takes action on our first priority, getting Albertans back to work. Albertans overwhelmingly endorsed our government's free enterprise principles. Those principles support the entrepreneurial attitude and can-do spirit that made Alberta prosperous in the past and will restore our role as the economic engine of Canada. Here, here. Budget 2019 will get Albertans back to work by restoring our competitiveness, reviving private investment, cutting red tape, and supporting training and the skills that will be needed in the future. To make Alberta a magnet for investment, Budget 2019 is taking bold action to reduce taxes and regulation. Our goal is to make Alberta the most competitive jurisdiction to do business in North America. Our first act after forming government was the elimination of the carbon tax. That job-killing tax created a significant drag on economic growth and disproportionately penalized us for living in a geographically massive region, region in a cold climate and a resource-driven economy. At $1.4 billion, this was the largest tax cut in Alberta's history. It reversed the skewed policies of the previous government that raised the cost on everything, from home heating to groceries, on families and small businesses already coping with unemployment and less income. I was incredibly proud to present legislation that implemented the job creation tax cut. This legislation assures the reduction of corporate income tax rates from 12 to 8 percent. Mr. Speaker, by 2022, Alberta will have the lowest business tax rate in Canada, and that rate will be lower than 44 of 50 U.S. states. The weight of historical evidence overwhelmingly shows that when we improve our corporate tax strategy, our provincial GDP goes up and our share of national GDP increases. And so do jobs, and so do government revenues. Economists Jack Mintz and Bev Dalby estimate that the job creation tax cut will add up to 55,000 jobs by 2023. My own es ministry estimates that the job creation tax cut will boost real investment by approximately $4 billion per year by 2023. And we have ample evidence of what doesn't work, Mr. Speaker. After the former government increased the corporate income tax rate, tax revenue fell by billions of dollars. It is one element of their legacy that has been reversed in order to shift Alberta to a broad-based, low-tax structure that puts investment decisions in the hands of the private sector and not government. Mr. Speaker, success is the intersection between preparation and opportunity. This side of the House believes that opportunity in Alberta remains boundless. It is the preparation that has been lacking, and we will fix that. Yeah. We have also adopted the accelerated capital cost allowance provisions. This will encourage businesses to make capital investments resulting in growth and improved productivity. Mr. Speaker, the job creation tax cut, along with the accelerated capital cost allowance provisions, provide Alberta with a broad-based, low-rate corporate tax system that will be competitive with any jurisdiction in North America. These two initiatives are designed for optimal economic impacts. They are a break with the habit of many modern governments to complicate fiscal policy with targeted tax credits. These invariably come with red tape, which makes them inefficient. 
and they undermine the efficiency of market-based capital allocation in order to achieve political or ideological objectives. Therefore, we will be taking steps to eliminate five tax credits, the Alberta Investor Tax Credit, the Community Economic Development Corporation Tax Credit, the Capital Investment Tax Credit, the Interactive D Digital Media Tax Credit, the Scientific Research and Experimental D Tax Credit. Mr. Speaker, we will honour our existing commitments under these programs, and going forward, companies that receive these credits will now instead benefit from the broad-based, low-tax environment provided to all those who choose to do business in Alberta. Mr. Speaker, since day one, we've been working to transform Alberta's economy from one of the slowest and most overregulated in Canada to the fastest and freest in the nation. My colleague, the Associate Minister of Red Tape Reduction, is making excellent progress working with Albertans to identify roadblocks to job creation and economic development. Serious efforts to reduce red tape across the entire spectrum of government are projected to save taxpayers at least $140 million per year. Unlike the previous government, Mr. Speaker, this government is not driven by dogma. We are pragmatic about ec economic intervention, not doctrinaire. Indigenous communities, groups and businesses face significant challenges when accessing capital to invest in natural resource projects. This impedes their economic growth and well-being. That's why our government is creating the $1 billion Alberta Indigenous Opportunities Corporation to help Indigenous-owned enterprises become partners in energy and resource development. The Alberta Indigenous Opportunities Corporation makes Alberta a leader in Canada on the path to reconciliation. I am proud to present a budget that supports this practical investment to create meaningful, lasting change and a brighter future for Indigenous Albertans. Here, here. Here, here. Here, here. Mr. Speaker, Albertans want our government to take a realistic approach to the challenge of climate change. Our government's Technology Innovation and Emissions Reduction, or TIER program, is an ambitious and realistic plan to incent investment in new emission reduction research and technologies. It invests in the tremendous progress we are already seeing in the oil sands. Between 2000 and 2017, the emission intensity of oil sands operations has dropped by 28%. This is the result of Made in Alberta technologies and is a real outcome in the effort to reduce global emissions. TIER builds on this success and keeps the focus on large industrial emitters responsible for half the emissions in Alberta. Regulated facilities can reduce or offset their emissions or pay directly into the TIER fund. Over the next four years, TIER revenues are estimated to be $1.9 billion. This will be used to fund further development of emissions reductions technologies, ensuring that Alberta companies, who are already among the most environmentally responsible in the world, continue to innovate and improve by investing in clean technologies that reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Mr. Speaker, Budget 2019 also invests in developing the work, skills needed, that are and will be needed to move our province forward to develop the next generation of skilled trade, tradesmen and women, Budget 2019 expands on the apprenticeship model. With over $11 million for schools to work with Careers the Next Generation, an organization connecting students with apprenticeships and skills that will lead to high-paying jobs and rewarding careers. 
It provides $10 million for women building futures to encourage women to enter the trades. And $2 million over four years for Skills Canada Alberta to help young Albertans build their technology skills and make connections on the national and world stage. Actions to attract and keep skilled workers include developing the Alberta Advantage Immigration Strategy with $2.5 million to recognize foreign qualifications so newcomers can accelerate their entry into the job market. Here, here. Mr. Speaker, we will also build on our strength in technology, data and telecommunications, and our leadership in artificial intelligence. We will spend more than $200 million on research, innovation, and commercialization to develop talent and attract global investment. This funding will commercialize technologies that will improve the productivity and competitiveness of our traditional industries and build the ones we've not yet envisioned. Mr. Speaker, this funding will support a highly skilled labour force, world-class university programs, and a competitive business environment that will make lasting contributions to economic growth. All of these measures, Mr. Speaker, will help the province recover from the past four years. With business investment picking up, real GDP growth is forecast to improve from 6.6% 6 .6 in 2019 to 2.7% 2 in 2020, and then to 3% in the final two years of our mandate. Our ambitious strategy for job creation will lead to marked improvement in investment and economic growth. While we are confident in our policies, we are also aware of increasing risks to the global economy. In the event of a negative external impact beyond our control, additional spending restraint will be required. Now, Mr. Speaker, I'd like to speak of courage. To rein in the excessive spending of Alberta governments dating back 25 years will take courage and resolve, and not by, just by this government, but by all Albertans. We all have an obligation to live within our means. It is unfair to saddle future generations of Albertans with debt, to effectively steal their opportunities and force them to pay our bills. We must be responsible today to ensure the next generation can continue to access the high-quality public services we enjoy and have opportunities for healthy, fulfilling and prosperous lives. As the McKinnon panel noted, Alberta's annual expenditures would be $10.4 billion less if our per capita spending simply matched the average spending in Canada's three largest provinces, British Columbia, Ontario and Quebec, and we wouldn't have a deficit. In health, we spent almost $1,000 more per person in 2018 than in Ontario. This means we would be spending over $4 billion less on health care if we matched Ontario's spending. But all that money isn't buying us better results. The panel pointed to a number of metrics that demonstrate our health care service delivery is no better than comparable provinces, and in some cases worse. For example, Alberta has the highest percentage of people cared for in hospitals who should be in a more appropriate setting. And we wait longer to see a specialist after getting a referral. It's clear other provinces are doing more with less in health care. This is why our Minister of Health has initiated an Alberta Health Services Review to identify a course of action that will ensure Albertans receive better value from our health care system. Mr. Speaker, we are also spending more than other provinces on education. 
K-12 education school board funding increased by 3.5% over the last decade, more than double the increase in student enrollment. In advanced education, funding to post-secondary institutions has grown by 40% since 2009, about three times the growth of enrollment. To live within our means, government spending must adjust to a new reality. Oil prices will be lower for longer. We can't count on another boom to bail us out. The McKinnon panel concluded that a spending freeze would not be enough to balance the budget in 2023. Alberta must now bring spending to more affordable levels in line with other provinces. When, doc and when Dr. Janice McKinnon delivered her panel's report to me, she said something that has remained top of mind. It was that Alberta still has options, but you must take action now to restrain spending. Do not delay. If you don't take action now, there will be far fewer options for Alberta in the future. Mr. Speaker, I will not be responsible for removing opportunities for Albertans in the generations to come. The challenge of this restraint is the spending trajectory the previous government left us. In the last four years, Alberta's operating expenses have been increasing at close to 4% every year while revenues have remained flat. This budget is a first step in changing that trajectory as it rolls back operating spending. Ministries have put in countless hours finding efficiencies and are now beginning the work that will lead to transformative change. Redesigning and modernizing the way we deliver services has the potential to unlock savings and provide better outcomes. We are taking a thoughtful and surgical approach to spending restraint. To ensure their sustainability, we are evaluating programs that were put in place and left to grow at an unrestrained pace. We are considering ways in which programs can be restructured so that they truly support the most vulnerable. We are taking efforts to simplify the supports that Albertans receive to cut down on administration costs. Where we believe Albertans could afford to cover more supports, we will ask them to do so. But I want to be clear. This is Budget 2019, not Budget 1993. Budget 2019 is making a 2.8% measured spending reduction over four years. That's less than three cents on the dollar. This is not an 18% across the board cut. In Budget 2019, frontline services are protected. We will maintain our platform commitment to fully fund education. Healthcare spending will rise. Funding will also increase for children's services, community and social services, and seniors in housing. That is all possible because our plan to balance the budget is focused, thoughtful, and practical. Mr. Speaker, what we can't ignore is the crippling legacy of unrestrained spending. Government's operating expense is now $1.2 billion higher than if it matched Alberta's population growth and inflation in the last four years. At the end of 2009, Alberta's debt was $1.2 billion. This number has grown exponentially, and on March 31, 2019, provincial taxpayer-supported debt totaled $63 billion. Interest payments on that debt consume 3.5% of the budget. That's $2 billion a year, or $5 million a day, going to bankers on bondholders instead of paying for 30,000 teachers or 35,000 long-term care beds, or a new school every week. 
Had the previous government continued with their plan, we would have generated over $100 billion of debt by 2024, with annual interest payments of $3.4 billion. Living within our means and getting spending down to comparative levels with peer provinces is the only way we will balance the budget, get out of debt, and strengthen public services for Albertans. Something we will not do, Mr. Speaker, is continue with the reckless crude-by-rail program the previous government created on the eve of its demise. The program would have paid out $10.6 billion in expenses to get back $8.8 billion in oil revenues. Rail contracts alone were $3.7 billion, almost as much as the federal government paid for the Trans Mountain <laughs> Pipeline. Mr. Speaker, the private sector can ship this oil far more cost-effectively than government without risking the tax dollars of hard-working Albertans. Budget 2019 includes a $1.5 billion provision to get government and taxpayers out of the crude-by-rail business. Mr. Speaker, this budget honours previous commitments to build and maintain key infrastructure projects. But it also takes into account what we learned from the McKinnon Report, that infrastructure in Alberta is generally newer than in other jurisdictions. Capital spending in Alberta averaged $7 billion a year over the past decade. In this capital plan, it will average just over $6 billion. The 2019 capital plan provides $24.2 billion over four years. The McKinnon report made it clear that municipalities must shoulder more of the responsibility for major projects. The panel found that Alberta provides over 20% more grant support to municipalities than other provinces and recommended that we bring municipal spending in line accordingly. The four-year fiscal plan in budget 2019 will put us on that recommended path. Mr. Speaker, an important partner on the journey to a new and better fiscal future for Albertans will be our public sector workers. Each and every Albertan who works to deliver government services, whether they're a doctor, a janitor, an administrator, teacher, or nurse, is an important partner in our work. Labour costs represent 55%, more than half of the total operating budget. And in 2018, Alberta's total wage and salary expenses were $880 million higher than in British Columbia and $1.2 billion higher than in Ontario on a per capita basis. In keeping with the McKinnon Report recommendations, our goal is to bring Alberta government wages in line with other provinces. Alberta MLAs demonstrated leadership by taking a 5% salary reduction, and the Premier himself took a 10% pay cut. We will be looking to the public service for restraint. Let me be clear, this budget does not contain any provision for wage increases. And over the next four years, the size of Alberta's public service will be reduced and management to staff ratios will fall. This will be accomplished mainly as employees retire, coupled with hiring restraint in the broader public sector. Next year, almost every contract we have with union will expire. As we approach a new agreement, we must keep in step with today's fiscal reality with other provincial remuneration levels, and with other Albertans who saw their wages decrease or disappear altogether due to our province's recent economic travails. And so I speak directly to Alberta's public service, to the nurses, to the teachers, and to the committed professionals who deliver to Albertans every day. 
Work with us to bring Alberta's spending in line. This will protect jobs now and in the future, and it will show fairness and respect for Albertans' hard-earned tax dollars. While Albertans are hard-working and self-reliant, they are also compassionate. They care about their neighbours and those who are less fortunate. Our government promised to maintain quality health care and education and social, social supports for the most vulnerable. Budget 2019 honours that promise while achieving the, the McKinnon panel recommendation to bring Alberta's spending in line with the average of other provinces. True to our commitment and Alberta's priorities, health gets a $200 million increase in this budget. Over four years, health will receive $100 million for a mental health and addiction strategy. $40 million to address the opioids crisis and $20 million for palliative care. That said, we must recognize that health care is the single largest government expense. We must stabilize health care spending to balance the budget by 2023 and it can't be accomplished in one year alone. Last year, Alberta spent $20.4 billion on health care. That's 42% of the entire operating budget. Between 2009 and 2019, healthcare spending has increased 60%, while government revenue has only increased by 26%. Our goal is to establish a healthcare system that achieves better outcomes, provides appropriate care, more appropriate care for Albertans, and comes closer to the funding levels in BC, Ontario, and Quebec. Mr. Speaker, the Alberta government spends $8 billion every year to educate children from kindergarten through grade 12. Budget 2019 maintains this funding. We are allocating funding for the school nutrition program as promised, with $15.5 million for schools and $3 million for not-for-profits. We are accommodating student growth with $1.8 billion in new capital funding for new and upgraded schools and 250 new modular classrooms. We will build and upgrade playgrounds for Alberta's children by contributing $11 million over two years. We will also act on a McKinnon panel recommendation for Alberta's K-12 system. Government will review and revise the education formula to address enrollment growth and provide incentives for sharing services and achieving better student outcomes. We also want to ensure better outcomes for our post-secondary students. Post-secondary education accounts for nearly 11% of our budget. Spending on post-secondary education has grown at a rate of 4% per year, three times the rate of enrollment growth. We spend $36,500 per student per year. That's 5% more than British Columbia, sorry, that's $5,000 more than British Columbia, 10,000 more than Quebec, and 15,000 more than Ontario. The Minister of Advanced Education is consulting with post-secondary institutions to set a new course that focuses on performance, accountability, and cost management. Mr. Speaker, we will end the five-year tuition freeze and decrease institutional dependence on taxpayer dollars while maintaining a high level of student support through scholarships and endowments. Our post-secondary institutions will help hone the next generation of great leaders, and education is one, of, is one of the best personal financial investments you can make. Removing the cap on tuition will incent our universities and colleges to compete for enrollment by focusing on the delivery of programs that directly meet student needs. Mr. Speaker, Alberta has some of the most generous social programs in the country. 
the assured income for the severely handicapped, or AISH, is $400 more per month than the next most generous province. Supports for the disabled are also among the most substantial. Mr. Speaker, Budget 2019 makes no cuts to social programs. In fact, it increases spending. This aligns with our government's commitment to protect the most vulnerable while living within our means. Community and Social Services receives a 7.6% increase to address human trafficking and sexual exploitation, caseload pressure, and a comprehensive review of programming to ensure value for money. We are maintaining the low-income transit support pilot program for vulnerable Albertans so they can get to appointments, job interviews, and workplaces. Seniors in housing will receive an increase of $8 million to maintain overall seniors' benefits. And Children's Services receives a 15% increase over four years. The Alberta Child and Family Benefit will replace the Alberta Child Benefit and the Alberta Family Employment Tax Credit. This single program will provide more benefits to lower income families while reducing administration costs. Mr. Speaker, the third priority for our government and for Budget 2019 is standing up for Alberta. Standing up for a fair deal in Confederation and standing up against foreign-funded activists trying to landlock our oil. Alberta is a proud and significant contributor to the national economy. We have 12% of Canada's population but contribute more than 16% to national GDP. We attract 25% of all capital investment and are responsible for nearly a quarter of all Canadian exports. When our economy is strong, all of Canada benefits. Alberta's net fiscal contribution to the rest of Canada averaged over $23 billion a year in the past five years and $211 billion over the last decade. Alberta taxpayers make an extraordinarily outsized contribution to the Federation, largely due to the energy sector. When Ottawa enacts discriminatory legislation, like the tanker ban, or creates excessive, opaque, and unconstitutional government programs like the new environmental assessment regime of Bill C-69, they are not just attacking the Alberta economy. They are undermining the future growth and prosperity of the entire nation. Here, here. Last year, Canada imported more than $18 billion worth of crude from foreign countries, including $1 billion from Saudi Arabia alone. At the same time, Alberta's reputation as the most environmentally friendly and socially responsible energy producer in the world has been unfairly maligned. We are fighting back against these defamations and disinformation with the truth and with a proactive and relentless effort that will bring back international investment. Budget 2019 includes $30 million a year for the Canadian Energy Centre to do just that. And $2.5 million is budgeted for the public inquiry into foreign funding of anti-energy campaigns. But Mr. Speaker, the Canadian Energy Centre is just the start of our campaign to stand up for Alberta. In light of the election results earlier this week, it is clear that we cannot rely on federal support to rebuild our province. It is absolutely essential that we put our fiscal house in order and take charge of our economic future. In the coming months, we will be focusing our efforts on bringing fiscal fairness back to Alberta. We will be looking at each and every uh, federal fiscal transfer program and demanding that our concerns are addressed. We will use all the tools at our disposal to get a fair deal for Alberta. Here, 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 here. 
In closing, friends, fellow Albertans, I'm proud of this budget and the people who have helped put it together. It is a plan that, ab above all, will balance the budget in four years. But it is, much, it is much more than that. It is a turning point in Alberta's history. It is a budget that will grow the economy and create jobs through an ambitious strategy to attract investment to Alberta. It is a budget that will chart a prudent and thoughtful new course that breaks away from the excessive spending of past governments. It is a budget that provides certainty and stability. And it is a budget that demonstrates compassion for people and protects the most vulnerable. We promise to get Albertans back to work in a growing economy. We promise to deliver quality health care and education. We promise to support the most vulnerable among us. And we promise to balance the budget in four years. Budget 2019 keeps those promises. Mr. Speaker, on behalf of all of my colleagues in government, I would like to thank the people of Alberta for giving us this opportunity to re return our province to prosperity. We will not let you down. Friends and fellow Albertans, I want to conclude with this message. While we have no shortage of challenges today, I believe Alberta has a bright future. I'm hopeful today not only because we've been blessed with a truly beautiful province abundant in resources, but because Albertans are resilient and responsible, men and women who cherish and defend their freedom and know that reward does not come without risk or effort. This is the spirit of the men and women who built this province, and it remains today, and it is for this reason I am incredibly hopeful for our future. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Here, here. So we have some budget pain in Alberta and finger pointing at federal politicians. We have Western alienation, leadership question marks, lots to cover with our panel of party commentators. Susan Smith is a liberal commentator. Tim Powers is a conservative commentator and joining us from Toronto today is Tom Parkin, an NDP commentator. It's good to see you all. Nice to see you. Susan, let me start with you. Uh, we, we, we see this Alberta budget now and, and we, we know there's almost $3 billion in spending cuts for the people of Alberta. And we have Jason Kenney, the Premier of Alberta, you know, pointing the finger at the federal politicians saying in some ways, at least partly to blame, unfriendly federal policies and an unfriendly federal minority parliament now. And I'm, I want to get you to start by telling us how do you think Jason Kenney is, is playing this issue and these divisions in the country? Well, I think Jason Kenney's mantra for the next little while is going to be blame the feds. Doesn't matter what it is, blame the feds. That's what it will be. Uh, he came in uh, as premier not very long ago and he inherited a situation in the province of, Un of Alberta uh, that was not created by the federal government. It was probably exacerbated by the fact that a pipeline hasn't been built to Tidewater yet, but the federal government is not responsible for global oil prices. So, but it's easiest for him to have someone to, you know, to kick Ottawa. That's a good way to be. People are upset. There's definitely Western alienation. This is something mm. that the federal government is going to have to deal with. People are hurting because they haven't got jobs out there. But it's something that the Confederation is going to have to work on together. T Tim, does, does Jason Kenney have a case to, to blame in part federal policies on what's happening in Alberta, the economy and alienation? 
Well, look, again, and it's not just Alberta that's saying this, so take the pipelines out of the mix in that, that debate. Uh, Bill C-69, which was something Jason Kenney has uh, rallied against. Uh, he's not the only one. There are nine premiers, I believe, including Dwight Ball, a liberal premier in Newfoundland and Labrador. They feel that Bill C-69, from their perspectives, demonstrates a fundamental lack of understanding about the importance of the resource economy. That doesn't deal with price, as Susan says, but it does deal with a major roadblock provincial governments feel is impeding investment in their jurisdiction. And it's not unusual in Canadian in politics uh, to have finger pointing between the feds and the province. I mean, Mr. Trudeau just ended a political campaign where he, two of his main targets were Jason Kenney and Doug Ford. So they all have a little bit of blame to go Which around Which also raises here. the interesting issue yeah. around timing, yeah. that we were, getting oh, yeah. the, we're getting the Alberta budget three days after sure. the election and not during the campaign. Right. right. Tom, what are your thoughts on this? Well, uh, Mr. Mr. Kenny, really, if he was uh, expecting to get his treasury full by a pipeline, I think he's got his, his timeline wrong, because even if everything went according to the most optimistic schedule, nothing is going to be in the ground paying royalties for a long time. You know, the fact is that uh, Mr. Kenny gave a, a rather large corporate tax cut away this spring, and now this fall, he has a deficit and he wants to have cuts, and he's going to blame somebody else. So, uh, you know, I think Albertans um, need to look a little closer to home and ask, what are the priorities of Mr. Kenny really? Can I just add one thing, though, that maybe won't get in this discussion that should about there is a... Well, it's in it a, now. A broader, well, it is now. A broader element of truth to all of this is what happens in the uh, in the big oil companies as they look to make investment decisions. I think even the Liberals would, would acknowledge this to a certain degree, that we've lost the, what they call the, a lot of the super major oil companies, uh, global superpowers, are not coming to Canada to the degree that they once were. Now, it's not only just because of regulatory changes and uncertainty, but that is part and parcel of it. Kenny's beating that drum. So more regulatory, more more regulatory than the the, the old pipeline uncertainty. Well, it, it's uh, because I'm it's sixty nine. It's indigenous consultations, and again, I don't think they're not legitimate. But these are some of the things that super major oil companies other than, are I mean, now other looking than, at. Other than Andrew Shear. Uh, isn't Justin Trudeau Jason Kenney's biggest pipeline alley, uh, yeah. ally? For in this, this particular pipeline. Yeah, I yeah mean, he is. The other thing I think that's important to talk about is the, the spending uh, problem that Alberta has and another revenue issue that Alberta has. It's the only province in the country that doesn't have a GST or an HST. And Mr. Kenney and Albertans historically have refused to do something about that. They also were spending more per capita on people uh, than the other major provinces were, Ontario, etc. So when the times are good in Alberta, governments spend like crazy. When the times are bad in Alberta, they cut like crazy and blame Ottawa. And somewhere along the way, there's probably some middle ground that needs to be achieved. Finally, Mr. Ken Mr. Kenny, um, you know, being of conservative bent, conservatives like smaller government. They mm -hmm. like to get True. out of the way of people, and and um, this gives him an excuse with a foil to be able to do something that's actually ideological. As he did for the Prime Minister uh, in his particular agenda to use Mr. Kenny as an excuse and a foil to push forward his agenda. Well, and it's not like, it's not like uh, Tom, it's not like the previous uh, Alberta Premier, Rachel Notley, was a, a super friend of Justin Trudeau's either. No, she was obviously in favor of pipeline development as well, but she wasn't somebody who was in favor of, of cuts uh, and corporate tax uh, cuts to you know that 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 result in 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 deficits that result in cuts to important services like healthcare and education. Listen, there's no reason, Peter. There's no reason. 
that Alberta, as the richest country, as the richest province in our country, shouldn't have the best health care and the best education system in our country. It should. It should. And it's shameful that there are cuts coming because uh, because the, the new premier, uh, you know, chooses to give a big. Uh, Tax cut to corporations right, but it also, that, but that it, isn't paying out. But it also has a history of balanced budgets, largely, and and uh, you know, uh, I mean, it, it's it's a province that, other than uh, the time of, of the NDP government, there's not a province that has a history of of being okay with running big deficits, right? I mean, there well, have been some. You, but there's two sides to that equation, Peter. You know, there's there's the revenue side. And 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 Mr. Kenny is cutting the revenue side. So you you know this this gets lost in the picture here. That if you cut your revenues, you're going to have deficits. So um, what's the real situation going on here? Was he really banking on money from a pipeline in this fiscal year? No, it, that can't be because there's no way that a pipeline could have been online during this fiscal year. So the story is something different okay. than what Mr. Kenny wants to say. Let's talk about uh, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and the challenges for Justin Trudeau here. Uh, that that. Is that anger real? Is it, uh, is it visceral? Is it deep? Or is it a political issue being fanned by Scott Moe and, and Jason Kenney? And if it's real, uh, how, does, how is Justin Trudeau going to get representation now and hear the voices from a province where he doesn't have any members of parliament? So I think it's a bit of both, actually. There are definitely Albertans and Saskatchewans that are disgruntled. They all went to the polls and they all voted in the electoral map looks like it does, and not the first time for Canada to have big blocks of different colors in other parts of the country. Can't, you know, democracy is bumpy in Canada, but it works. So yes, there are people there that are unhappy, and they've been unhappy before, and then they've gotten over it, and then, you know, it continues to go on. But I do think it's being fanned by uh, senior politicians, and I think that's a dangerous game to play. Either you're in Canada and you're for Canada, or you're not. Um, but Justin Trudeau has challenges. He's got to get mm -hmm. some voices in cabinet. He's got to get some voices in his prime minister's office, whether he appoints, you know, a, someone without a seat like Stéphane Dion and Pierre Pettigrew in Quebec following the constitutional issues and right. crisis around there. That could be done again. Maybe he puts Randy Boissonneau in cabinet. Maybe, you know, Ralph yeah, Goodell guess, comes in as a senior advisor. Tim, That's where does he option. go with this? Time? It seems to me that uh, one of the key things that Albertans and, and, and people in Saskatchewan are looking for are not just a representative. Uh, it, and I say that in the context, are we, are we past the point here where what they're looking for is, is someone to be their voice in cabinet? Because, I mean... I, I, yeah, that's I, just I, more than cabinet. Yeah, I mean, cabinet's... Well, no, but I, I, there's symbolism to that? Uh, the, it can't be someone who's bringing the message that... It has to be someone, doesn't it, who's bringing a message of, of, of the anger and the hurt out there sure. as opposed to someone sitting around the table trying to find a way to massage it. Yeah, they, yeah if, if Justin Trudeau was legitimate in his comments in his press conference yesterday, then he's starting to acknowledge some recognition of that. Uh, and it, it won't, Alberta and Saskatchewan, other provinces won't just accept symbolism. Symbolism's important in politics. Bad symbolism, for example, may be viewed by uh, Alberta and uh, Saskatchewan if Stephen Guibault, the prominent uh, environmental activist, is, as some are suggesting, put into the environmental portfolio. I don't think that will go over well, so be watching for that. But, but back to Susan's uh, point about Western alienation, I think it's more pronounced than it's probably been in 20 years, because this is 
the, the most significant you can cast blame about anywhere downturn that uh, they've had in Saskatchewan and Alberta in a very long time. And when it's not just about culture, but it's about your wallet and how you put food on the table, people get concerned. And there are lots of people who were once employed in Alberta who aren't now. And uh, Kenny and Mo are facing immediate pressure to address that as the premiers. Tom, I, like I'll note for our viewers who have certainly noted themselves, those who are saying, hey, there's no one in the conversation from Alberta or Saskatchewan. But we have talked to a lot of those people. But I'm not, I'm not sure that that, I know that that's important, but it's almost as important, isn't it? There's, this is really a message to central Canada. People know what the people of Alberta and Saskatchewan are thinking. They've made that clear. So how does Justin Trudeau have to deal with this? Well, you know, uh, Peter, I, I used to live in Regina, and I have a bit of a sense of it from that uh, experience. And it's not simply about pipelines, although that's certainly part of it. It's the feeling that, you know, no matter what you do, you're not heard in Ottawa, and the people in Ottawa um, don't represent your values, your culture, your ideas, your area, uh, and that's a really uh, bad place to be in. And in the so case, to, it, sorry, just to point out, in the case, you know, I mean, speaking to Scott Moe uh, a couple of days ago, it's like, ask number one is not, I don't want you to hear how I feel anymore about yeah. a carbon tax. I want you to get rid of the carbon tax. It's that simple. There's no more trying to figure out how yeah, I feel. but you don't get to issue I, I dictates like that. I know. I'm saying, but, but Tom, so it's, it's, it is more than just pipelines. It's the sense that we know what we want in our province and we think we have uh, the right to implement different kinds of climate change plans, but you're not listening in Ottawa. Yeah, I, I, I think that is the sense is that Ottawa is not being responsive. In a way, it's not that different than feelings in other parts of the country that Ottawa is not responsive. And, and you know, that's, that is why Mr. Trudeau only got 33% of the vote, you know. He, he, he doesn't appear to be someone other than uh, an Ottawa insider. And that's something he's going to have to work on really hard. Okay, and it does, matter, it, it does matter to have a representative in Saskatchewan or, uh, or Alberta and somebody who understands and feels the way that they do about not just pipelines, but other issues as well. Yeah. I think the Prime Minister is listening and going to be listening. He certainly was sent a message by Canadians, but he was also sent a message by Canadians that climate action, we have to do something. There are, there are way, more, but, there are way more, more votes represented in the House of Commons today that that want a carbon tax and ambitious climate change than votes that are Correct. Aren't. So are you Alberta assuming that's can what no all those voters want, though, too? That's a dangerous thing. No, I mean, thing, I, but no, anyway, but, but, but each they didn't of those vote parties, it, right? Yeah. They, were, they were key players. Correct. And that right. is an assumption. I give you that. I think Alberta can no more, or Saskatchewan can no more call the shots on this country than Quebec can, than Ontario, than, Al than uh, Atlantic Canada. That's not the way our democracy works. People vote. They, they create a government. The government has to govern for the entire country and put in policies that work for the entire economy. And um, just because your guys didn't get in doesn't mean you can tip the game and so, go home. Tim, a quick comment. Yeah, to you. I was going to say, does this, can, can he make this better? Or are we destined for tougher days? Here? They all need to make it better. But the prime minister has to assume more responsibility for this. You don't go pick and fights with premiers and assume in the end that there aren't longer-term consequences. They I, all need to lift their game. Okay, Tom. I, 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 I hate to agree with my, you know, the others, but you know, you, you, there is a little bit of, of reap what you sow going on here. You know, when you constantly attack Mr. Ford, and I am not a conservative by any stretch of the, or of the imagination, but you're going to get some pushback. So, you know, these kind of divisive politics really have to end. Okay. Uh, and, and there needs to be some, some attempt to reach out and find accommodations and ways that people can work together on the things that are common. All right. Thank you all for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Take care.
Well, we've just come through an election campaign where immigration was one of the important issues. The political parties have differing views on how many immigrants Canada should take in and what kind of immigrants they should be. But a new report today says there really is no debate. The report by the Nonprofit Century Initiative says Canada needs a population of 100 million people by the year 2100 or our standard of living could plummet. And that uh, the target population can only be reached through major increases in immigration levels. Goldie Hyder is the CEO of the Business Council of Canada and an executive member of the Century Initiative. Goldie Hyder, good to see you again. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Start by telling us briefly about the Century Initiative. What do people know about this organization? What do we need to know about it? You know, your audience is a sophisticated one, so let me remind them that when you know, Laurier made this famous statement, the 20th century belongs to Canada, it felt fantastic, I'm sure, but it didn't happen. And the reason it didn't happen is, is there was no plan. And we're living in an era where really, uh, you know, our, unfortunately, our business and our politics is all about short term these days, right? It's, it's kind of like the quarterly analysis, if you will. But we need a plan for the long term. We owe that first and foremost to all of those who came before us, and secondly, to all of those who are going to come after us. And so what we're trying to do is, is essentially say, here's a, a long-term vision for the country, probably the most unselfish thing you can do, knowing that you'll be dead, you won't even know if it's going to be realized or not, certainly in my case. But we want to make sure that we, we provide an opportunity for the quality of life and standard of living to be improving. And Peter, as you well know, uh, we're not in a position today to say, in fact, we're in a position to say we're going to be the first generation that's probably not going to be leaving behind for our children and grandchildren a society better than we found it. Yet everybody before else somehow managed to do that. And so we want to draw attention that there is a responsibility that comes with wanting to make sure that the country that we've built is sustainable uh, and that the people here are able to enjoy what it means to be a Canadian as we have. And that's what this initiative is all about. Okay, so uh, let's drill down on there's, there's 10 recommendations here on how to, how to uh, ensure that we have population growth and that we have, uh, this, you know, we maintain a high standard of living and a competitiveness with the rest of the world. So by 2023, Canada uh, will have an immigration target of 370,000 newcomers a year under current uh, policies. What level are you proposing to get us to a population of 100 million by 2100? Well, here's the thing. If you'd asked me that question a couple of years ago, the number would have been about 450 a year. But every year that we delay getting to the right number, that, that number goes up. Now I'm saying to you it's probably closer to 475 a year. But it's not a million a year. It's not two million a year. And people freak out to some extent at that number, 100 million. Let me put it to you in context. From 1918 till 2000, so that, that over that period, our right. population increased a multiple of 3.7 times. So let's just say hypothetically, you know, 10, 11 million became 30 plus million. Today at 37 million, to get to 100 million in 2100, in, the multiple is only 2.7 times. So it is actually an unambitious goal. It is not scary. We have done it before. We have done it more in the past than we're even asking us to do today. But the thing is, we need a plan. We need to make sure that we don't lose that support for immigration. We are all immigrants in some way, shape, or form. Immigration has worked for the country. But we need to recognize that Canada is not immune from these global forces that are taking place. So we want to have an honest conversation with Canadians that says, look, there are many of you here already who are under 
underutilized. We want to have a plan for you. We want to make sure that women who are underutilized, people with disabilities who are, who are underutilized, uh, immigrants already here who are underutilized, indigenous communities that are underutilized. Let's make sure we get them fully functional in our economy to maximum capacity. Because you know what's going to happen when that happens? We're still going to fall short for the labor and the talent that we need to grow our right. economy. So your, your, your point is that, your point is that uh, I mean, and, and I urge people to read the report, uh, your, your point is that uh, immigration is just one part of it, and it's a key part yes. of it, but the idea is that, look, there's, there's stuff we're not doing uh, with people who are already in the country in terms of maximizing Correct. employment opportunities. But, you know, as you, you touched on it uh, a little bit, uh, Mr. Hyder, you know, there is this, I mean, I guess I put, let me put it this way. Have we done a good enough job in making this economic argument to Canadians about the value of immigration? Because it's come down to, uh, I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about uh, settlement infrastructure. I'm worried about my, my kids' future and losing all uh, these jobs to people that are coming to Canada from other countries. Have we done a, a good enough job explaining to people what's really at stake here? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, first of all, I will say that, you know, in, in the backdrop of the election that just was, if there's a positive development that happened in an election that many people were not enthralled with, I'm certainly not one of them, uh, immigration did not turn out to be a hot-button political issue, and I think we should all be pleased with that, that Canadians took the high road on this issue and recognized that immigration is far too important, far too central. Just as an anecdote, by 2025, 100% of our GDP growth is going to be coming from immigration. So it is the, the core requirement to be able to do all of the things that you've just raised, which brings me to the second point. You need a growing economy to be able to sustain the infrastructure, to particularly the social programs and the social infrastructure that we have. Now, what we're suggesting is we also need to think differently. We need to think big. We need to be bold. We need to look at Canada not as 10 countries, uh, 10, um, uh, some people say 10 countries abroad, but 10 provinces and, and three territories. We should really start thinking of ourselves in the future as how do we build some mega regions? Because mega regions, mega cities is how the world is breaking down now. And we can compete with that. And that includes the North. It includes Quebec. It includes the Maritimes. We need to think strategically about how to build a country that can be environmentally conscious, that can build the public infrastructure, that can sustain the social programs. And, and as I said, the only way to do that now is to grow your population, to grow your economy, because we're not Switzerland. The, the, the critics will say, well, why can't we just do what the Swiss do? Have you looked at a map recently? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, I, I guess in the few uh, seconds we have left here, uh, the bottom line is you, you make a, a compelling argument for why this needs to take place. but. It seems to me that and it's not the first time you've made it. This is a number of years now. The Century Initiative has been talking about the need to do this, and yet it seems to uh, it seems to to uh, the arguments you're making here seem to time and again uh, lose to the political argument. Nobody seems to want to bite this bullet, and I guess well, in fairness, in fairness, this government did right. This the previous government yeah, did the actually rates. increase levels. Yeah, they've raised the rates, right. but not not the way you're talking. I mean, and do you think inevitably this is where we head up? That it may take it may not be on the timetable you hope, but. At some point, maybe 10 years from now, political leaders are going to realize, look, uh, there's no point talking about this anymore. We have to let, uh, we have to have a much higher immigration uh, level, and we have to do a whole lot more domestically uh, to try and uh, make sure people are, uh, more people are part of the workforce. Uh, we are doing the right things with cities and the right things with infrastructure. I do think so. Uh, it takes leadership, Peter, and that's one of the things that we are trying to provide. 
is to say, let's have these honest conversations. I trust the good judgment of Canadians. I know there are issues. There are issues in Quebec. There are issues around culture. There are issues around, you know, the, the, what kind of a society will we have if we just, you know, and an impact on the environment. Let's have the conversation. I, I believe Canadians are sensible people. They recognize that we owe it to our children and our grandchildren to make sure that we leave behind a society better than we found it. This is one way of doing it. All right, Goldie Hyder, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for your time today. Likewise. Thank you, Peter. All the best. And that's all for another edition of Primetime Politics on CPAC. We are the Cable Public Affairs Channel. I'm Peter Van Dusen. Thanks for watching.